proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to clean your house before your friends come over. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about creating a welcoming gaming environment. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Tragedy Looper and Trap Words. Then, we talk about things you can do to make a game day more inviting and pleasant for everyone. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word welcome. And now, here are your hosts, Andy and Crystal. A couple quick announcements before we head into the main show. Uh, We have a tiny request of all of our listeners. We are so excited that you all are here and that you listen to every episode. And honestly, that is probably one of the best things that you could do is just to consume the content that we create. But we have one tiny other thing to ask of you this holiday season. And that is, if you have not already, please head over to iTunes or your pod catcher of choice. And if it gives you the ability to rate and review our show, we would really appreciate if you could rate us and review us. We aren't going to ask for any specific rating. We want you to rate us honestly. But if you do enjoy the show, we would really appreciate if you could go rate and review us because that will help other people find our show. And honestly, that's what this is all about spreading the gaming love to as many people as possible. So if you could do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And it would be a wonderful holiday gift for us. Also, as we mentioned in our last episode, we have merchandise available on Redbubble. And that is still available. And it will be available for the future, (laughs) the foreseeable future, as long as I Yeah, and I know it's like (laughs) Hanukkah's kind of already mostly gone at this point. Maybe all the way gone, actually. And and Christmas is just a few days away. But if you do need a last-minute gift... You know, yeah. like a travel mug with Board Game Blitz's logo <laughs> on it sounds like the perfect gift to me. Yeah, or a clock. That's, um, that's yes. thematic. <laughs> or a duvet cover, <laughs> because why not? If you've watched our top 100 videos, you might remember that Tragedy Looper is my favorite game. But I haven't talked about it at all on the podcast for recently played because I hadn't played it in a long time. It's so funny how our, like our favorite games often end up being the ones that we don't get to the table as often. I know. Yeah, because it's hard to get played. So for Tragedy Looper, it was designed and published in 2011 by Bakafire in Japan. And in 2014, Z-Man Games did the first English version. It's a one versus three deduction game. You can play two to four players, but with fewer players, one player plays multiple characters and there's less discussion. I've only played it four players, which is one of the reasons it's harder for me to get played because I want four people who like the game and want to play it. (laughs) But in Tragedy Looper, the theme is time travel and it's a deduction game. So the one player is a mastermind who knows everything that's happening and he knows like there's a scenario script and a bunch bunch of bad stuff that will happen. And he's trying to prevent the other players who are the protagonists from figuring it out. So all the players can play cards on characters and locations to make a move or it puts tokens on them that can activate things. For example, if a character has enough paranoia tokens on them, then one of the bad things in the script could happen. Like certain characters trigger different bad things and the mastermind knows who does what, but the protagonists don't. So there are a bunch of ways for the protagonists to lose. And then when they do that, they restart a new loop and try again. So that's where the time travel comes into effect. And so everything resets, but then they do different actions this time to try to find out more information and lose in a different way. And they're trying to either not lose one time before all of their number of loops that they can do runs out or figure out what all all of the um, script scenarios is, like what the answer is. So... There's a logic sheet that has all the possibilities of different things. And as you 
figure things out. You're looking through the sheet and trying to figure it out. But the mastermind is actively working against you because they see what you're figuring it out. And like they can do actions to try to prevent you from figuring things out. So I like that a lot because I like logic puzzles. I like just doing logic puzzles for fun, which is, but this game is like that, but it's multiplayer because there's a person trying to prevent you from asking the questions that you need to get asked, basically. So Tragedy Looper definitely needs the right group to play. Like other deduction games, if the mastermind messes up doing something, because the mastermind knows all the answers and they control the results of everything that's happening, if they mess up something, then then the deduction gets messed up and the game gets messed up. And it's like a two to three hour game. So you need to make sure that everyone is into the game and paying attention because there's a lot to keep track of. But it's also nothing like any other game I've played because of the verses in the deduction part. Because most other deduction games I've played are people asking and answering questions, whereas this one you can interact with the information that you're finding. So it's more like a hidden movement game, but it's a logic deduction um, with, with a sheet. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's very I mean, different. <laughs> it kind of feels like, ba- so I've never played Tragedy Looper. So, but based on the way you've described it both here and in the past to me, it kind of sounds in some small ways similar to Time Stories. If Time Stories, the game itself was sentient. Right? Like, like instead of you, like, as a group just playing the game against the game that's already set in stone, if time stories could theoretically shift and move things around based on your actions, this sounds like... I mean, obviously, they are mechanically different games, but they are both based around playing through a scenario time-wise and then coming back to the beginning and starting it again. But in this case, yeah, you've got somebody that's working actively against you to prevent you from doing things. Whereas in time stories, the game isn't doing that. The game (laughs) is just, well, although I guess in theory, the game like sends you kind of down some red herring paths in time stories and it's bigger scope wise, but this sounds a little bit more like the puzzles are a little bit more confined. I don't know if that's the right word, right? Like, would that be a good way of describing it? But yeah, like with... It's like uh, with a logic puzzle, you know what the possible options are. Whereas in time stories, it's more... Um, Abstract. Like if you're just freeform trying to figure yeah. stuff out, right? Like Yeah, but, but here there's a set, there's a sheet that you have like all the different options. And then as you figure stuff out, you mentally cross out what it isn't or what it could be. And you're like taking notes of that in your mind. So, so like it, it's a very different feel. But, but it's like, so it's kind of like clue mixed with time stories theme but then I I guess the closest feeling would be like a a letters of Whitechapel type thing because it has the person working against when other people trying to figure it out so if you combine like clue (laughs) clue for fury of dracula and time stories all together (laughs) kind of yeah but if you like logic puzzles and you have a group that likes logic puzzles and you have to think constantly in the game then you should try it out but yeah we've played the tragedy looper base game comes with 10 scenarios and we've played all of them you can make your own scenarios too. We haven't done that. Um, but we also bought two expansions that we, we played one of the scenarios from the expansion and it has new characters and new scripts and new possibilities. So there's a lot more. <laughs> so once you've played a scenario, obviously you know the answers to the puzzles. Mm-hmm. Do, is it one of those games that like with enough time you could go back to it? Or once you've played it, are you pretty much done forever with it? If you forget the answers, then you could play it. But like, You'd probably remember as you play it, maybe. I, I don't know. Okay. D- depends I mean, on how good yeah. your memory is. <laughs> but you can also, you can play as the mastermind with a new group because the mastermind knows the answer anyway. 
Okay. And that's, that's interesting because that's something I've kind of wanted to do with time stories mm-hmm. is I've played through all of the existing time story scenarios, but I have some friends who I think would enjoy time stories. So I really want to play it with them, but I wouldn't yeah. actually be participating in the game. <laughs> I would just kind of be like, I wouldn't like actually observing. be making any decisions, yeah. but yeah, I would be facilitating the game itself, like, and just kind of observing mm-hmm. because honestly, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. Cause I only got to experience each time story scenario once and I've forgotten things. And I kind of just want to see those like big aha moments happen yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. You need to do that with like escape rooms too, right? Or escape yeah. room games. Yeah. 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 My friend Kathy actually does that quite a bit. Like if she finds one she really likes, then she mm-hmm. will run it for other people and she'll just hang out. And especially what's nice is like, there's a couple of the, especially the unlocks that have like puzzles that are kind of ridiculous and nearly impossible to figure out based on the way the game is structured. Shout out to unlock for breaking its <laughs> own darn rules all the time in a way that I hate. Like don't give me set rules and then break them all the time. I'm sorry. It's one of my the most frustrating things about Unlock for me. But yeah, she'll like run them. And then when people hit the puzzle that she knows to be frustrating for most people, she's kind of there and ready to like give mm-hmm. tiny clues to help out, which is nice. Okay, the game I wanted to talk about today, I actually technically have not played a full game of it yet. But it's something that I got to demo at BGG Con, and I keep forgetting to mention in like all of my BGG Con recap type things. And I feel like it's a game that would be great with like families and casual gamers this time of year. So I wanted to mention it, and that is Trap Words. Trap Words published in 2018 from CGE, Czech Games Edition is a game that can best be described as kind of like taboo, but not. (laughs) So in Trap Words, you have two teams and you have a little tiny board made up of dungeon tiles. You put out five dungeon tiles and each team has a standee that starts on the first tile and you are trying to progress through the dungeon to the end to fight the final monster. The way you do that is by playing a taboo-like word game where uh, one team will have a little booklet with a card in it that has words on it. And based on how you put the card into your little booklet, it will display one of the words on the card. And it's interesting because the booklets are positioned in such a way that like the holes on them will show different words on different cards. Kind of hard to describe in an audio format, but needless to say, there's lots of words on every card, but you won't always see all of them. So then based on that word, they pass the booklet to the other team and the other team then gets to select trap words. So those of you who are familiar with the classic game Taboo know that one team has a list of predetermined words that they are sitting in uh, with in front of them. And if the other team, when they're giving clues to their team members, say one of the words that are on the sheet, you hit the buzzer and they don't get a point for that word. In this game, instead of having a predetermined list, you get to come up with the words that the other team isn't allowed to say, but they don't get to know the words that you've chosen. So like, let's say the word that you have to get your team to guess is monkey then the other team gets to write down a set number of words that you aren't allowed to say, but you won't know what they are. So let's say they wrote down banana, primate, and jungle. 
You don't know they wrote down those words and you have to describe to your teammate, you have to get them to guess monkey without hitting any of the words that the other team wrote down. So you're, you end up with this weird like dance of trying to describe a thing in very weird and vague ways. And there's also immediate metagame because you're like, well, wait, (laughs) did they write down the most obvious words or did they go two levels down and write less obvious, more obscure words, thinking those are the ones I was going to say. When we played this at the demo booth at CGE um, at BGGCon, I had to describe lemonade to my team. And I think I ended up describing it. It was something like, this is a liquid that you pour into your face hole that <laughs> that might make you pucker. <laughs> so like, I didn't want to say drink. I didn't want to say yeah. beverage. I didn't want to say sour. Like I was trying to avoid all the words that seemed obvious. And it, everybody was watching me and I was saying things very slowly and methodically. And they were all just laughing so hard because they were like, pour into your face hole. Oh yeah, because I didn't want to say mouth either. <laughs> so like... It was very amusing. (laughs) This game is great. There's like curse cards that make things harder for you. Like you have to give all of your clues in a single breath. There's like a petrify card that makes you have to like physically freeze. Um, There's some other ones that are great. I, you got to play this one too at uh, BGG Con, right, Ambi? Um, I actually played it like a while ago because one of my friends had a review copy. So yeah, I really like the the trap words part, the taboo part. But I thought the like dungeon part of the game was kind of weird and not yeah like the board doesn't seem necessary like you could honestly just get this out and play the taboo part of it essentially if you wanted yeah that's what i like (laughs) yeah but i think like if your family likes taboo or liked Mm -hmm. taboo back in the day this is an easy get and i want to say i looked it up and i believe it's available um like pretty much everywhere now it just came out like a month ago and i think on amazon it's like 20 bucks i imagine from miniature market or cool stuff inc it's probably even cheaper than that so uh if you're looking for a great family game this holiday season this is one i would highly recommend and that is trap words for this week's thematic segment we wanted to talk about how you, as someone who is really into the gaming hobby, can help create a welcoming gaming environment. And whether that's for your friends or your family um, or even strangers, depending on the situation, we thought that it would be interesting to discuss the ways in which we help make our houses or spaces more welcoming to others. And we wanted to pass on our advice to you all. Yeah, so we host people over occasionally. Most of the time, when we play games, it's just like a couple of our friends coming over. So we're very comfortable with them. But if we have larger gatherings, like for example, our annual, Toby's annual birthday party is a day of board games where we invite like 20 people over, then we have to plan ahead more to make sure everyone has a good time. So we make sure we have like enough food, snacks. If people have different dietary needs, then we try so we have to we make sure we have a variety of snacks for people so like we have veggies we have other things too (laughs) yeah and that's like it's always good to like ask people in advance Mm -hmm. if they have any dietary restrictions and try and accommodate them if possible yeah if you know the whole invite list so this is for like private events um, yeah where you're inviting people and also one thing is 
for us, we invite people from multiple friend groups. So for TCON, we have like Toby's high school friends, but then I also invite some of my coworkers and stuff. But if you're inviting someone, you should try to make sure that like multiple people from that group are invited and coming because it might be if someone's shy and they want to, they come and they don't know anyone else there, it might be pretty awkward for them. So it'd be nice for them not to be the only one that they know other than the host. Well, I think along those same lines, that's also a good opportunity. If you know someone is shy to Mm -hmm. uh, allow them to bring a guest of their own in theory, like assuming that you trust them and, you know, trust Mm -hmm. whoever they would be willing to bring, you know, whether it's a spouse or a friend, if they don't feel comfortable coming alone, allowing them to bring someone with them can help with that problem as well. Yeah. I think it's good to, and again, this is for events at your own house where you know the people who are coming for the most part. It's always good to have a good gauge of your friends, who they are, what they like, what their mood is, and to stay attuned to how they're feeling during the event as well. Not just like planning in advance, but staying aware of the mood generally during the event. I think For a lot of us gamers, it is easy to get into a game and get really distracted and kind of like stop paying attention to everything else around you while you're focused on a game. And if you are hosting an event, you know, you need to be aware and considerate of other people who are in your house. So I luckily, I've been very lucky in that a lot of my friends are people I know really well, and they almost kind of take on hosting duties along with me at my own house. Like, Yeah, that, that happens to me too. <laughs> yeah, like they're like, oh no, Crystal, I got that. Don't worry about it. Like very much, like my friends are wonderful people and they will generally help out and pitch in in ways that they don't have to. But I like, I appreciate it because obviously hosting a party can be a full-time job at a party, mm-hmm. like where you don't really get to do any of the fun things. You're just helping facilitate the fun. And that is okay sometimes, but you know, I like having fun too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I usually try to make, like go around and check around, make sure everyone's like having fun. People got into a game, especially for the people who are newer, or don't know as many people there. See, so make sure they got a game to play before I go and play my own game. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's good to help pair people up with other people of similar interests. Like I have a few friends who generally want to play heavier games. And so I kind of let them go take the dining room table (laughs) that's a little bit off to the side and let them sit there for a few hours playing whatever they want. And then my more casual gaming friends will usually chill in the living room and they might be playing Jackbox games on the TV or Mario Party or something (laughs) else. Like it's not always about board games. And I actually, my birthday party as we're recording this is a little less than a week away, but when this episode releases, it will have been a few (laughs) days ago. But yeah, like I think, I don't know how many RSVPs I have so far. I think we're probably going to have around 20 or 25 people coming. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of people in the house uh, and I'm really excited about it. Also, you know, having activities that are not board game related are good, not just if like, so some of my friends aren't as big into board games. So it's nice to have something that they're a little bit more into. But honestly, even for my friends who are huge board gamers, sometimes like as the night is winding down, people are a little bit burned out. It's kind of nice to have something else for people to do that isn't quite as mentally taxing. And I think that's where like the Jackbox games, things like that really shine. Yeah. And you can also have a variety of board games there too. Like we have Toby and I are kind of omni gamers, but we have like really heavy games. We also have a lot of party games. So as the night winds down, lots of times we play a lot of party games that aren't mentally taxing. They're just fun and silly. 
for sure. And I think this is me kind of just giving myself advice, but I think it's always good to, again, read the room and be willing to change the plan if need be. I am bad about like changing things on the fly if I have like a specific plan in mind. And like, especially when it comes to games, if after we've read the rules or after we've started playing, if people aren't digging a game, it is okay to quit playing <laughs> that game. And this is something that I never ever do. And I think I need to more often. It's about having fun. Like that is the mm-hmm. first and foremost thing about any game for me should be having fun. And if the majority of people in a game aren't having fun, stop playing it. Again, I'm kind of talking to myself here because like, <laughs> I feel like it's that sunk cost fallacy. Like we yeah. already read the rules and we already played two rounds. So now we're stuck. And that's not true. Like stop playing, play something else, do something that you're going to enjoy more. It's okay. And hopefully I can take my own advice in this regard. But you know, there is consideration that like if somebody else brought the game and they really like it and everyone else is having a bad time, like you don't want to hurt the person who brought the game's feelings. And so I always try and be considerate of others in that regard. Mm -hmm. But I think you know, people need to recognize that it doesn't matter how much you love a thing. If other people don't love it too, then, you know, it's not the right time for it. And I can do that with my own games sometimes. If people aren't digging something, I should not force them into it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. And it's also, it's a bummer when people don't love the thing that you love. Yeah, that's hard. And it's okay. That is okay. But it's hard in the moment, especially to show somebody something you love and then not love it too. I do this with TV shows as well, not just games. Like, I've been, I think we like, talked about this in one of our episodes. Yeah, we've talked about this before. I've been trying to get literally all of my friends to watch The Good Place. Although I think technically so far, no one has watched that show and not liked it. So, Or if they haven't liked it, they didn't tell me. But The Good Place is pretty much the best sitcom on television right now. So yeah. So if you're not hosting the event, there are still some things you can do. Like if you're at a public event that's hosted by someone else, there are things you can do to make it more inclusive and welcoming as well. Because even if you're not hosting, you can still keep an eye out for people who look like they're looking for a game or they're left out and you could maybe invite them to join you. Absolutely. And obviously, like, it's best if the host of an event is working hard to make sure that kind of stuff is happening. But if you're Mm -hmm. attending an event, I think you do have some ownership in helping it succeed. You know, you're not solely responsible, but if everyone attending an event paid no attention to anyone else's feelings, then obviously that would be a pretty crummy event. So I think, you know, being willing to play a game that somebody else really wants to play or inviting somebody who looks left out over to join your group, all of those things can help make a gaming event more successful and more welcoming to people. And, you know, just being aware of that kind of stuff is a good thing to do in general in life. Yeah. Yeah. And if everyone at an event is aware of that and being considerate of everyone else and inviting people to play games and trying to have a good time, then it'll be a great event. (laughs) And I think that's what's really quite nice about the board game community as a whole is I think for the most part, people are really good about that. But like we've discussed on the show before, I think I personally sometimes get stuck into a little bit of tunnel vision, even at like larger board game conventions. Like I 
would not mind playing with a different group of people for every single game. Like, that's fine with me. I'm extroverted. Mm-hmm. I like trying different types of games. Like, that wouldn't bother me. But once I find a group that I'm cozy with and, like, people I like and who I tend to mesh with, like, game taste-wise, I sometimes kind of get stuck playing with them. I mean, stuck in a good way. Like, I enjoy, <laughs> I just stick with them because it's familiar and it's comfy. And, like, I think we got feedback at one of the conventions that we attended that, like, we didn't play games with enough people, or at least for me. And I I, I feel bad about that, but it's, it's time-consuming to jump from different group to different group during a convention because you have to find a group of people who's not currently playing a game, find a game you all want to play, sit down and play it. And then you have to go through that whole cycle again, whereas if you stay with the same group, it's easier. So I think, mm-hmm. at least for me personally, like, if I want to make gaming spaces more welcoming to others, you know, I need to kind of be willing to step out of my comfort zone sometimes and find new people to play with. Find somebody that's wandering around that doesn't have a group and invite them to come play with me. And I'm not always going to be good at that, but I think it's important, especially for people who do consider themselves ambassadors for the hobby, which I think you and I would probably consider ourselves to be at this point and a lot of people listening to this show honestly like you all in listening to board game podcasts you're ambassadors <laughs> so um you know like just take a couple of moments and try and help make one person feel more welcome at the next gaming event you go to that you wouldn't have maybe paid attention to otherwise i think that that's like a good thing to do in general yeah i need to work on that too because well, I, I get really anxious about talking to new people, so I need to have people that I know already in order to invite someone else to. <laughs> well, and I think that's especially hard for you because you and Toby enjoy playing games together and you both mm-hmm. travel together too. So like if you were traveling without Toby, then you would almost be forced into that a little bit more often. Yeah. But obvi- but like it's comfortable for you to play games with Toby. So like mm-hmm. it makes sense. I get it. It's not that you're avoiding <laughs> other people. It's just you guys are right there. You're It's yeah. right there. But we play with other people too. Like at we met a few people this year at BGG Con and played with them like a lot of different games. But yeah, it's it's easier for me when I'm hosting my party and then I know everyone who's coming, then I can jump around different groups and play games with them. But. Yeah. I mean, and that's and you, I think you're probably more the norm. Like I think a lot of board gamers would consider themselves to be a little bit more introverted and, you know, going up to a stranger can be a very scary thing. Like, I'm not saying that people should do something that makes them uncomfortable. I'm just saying, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. if you are able to do something that would help make somebody else feel more welcome, that that's Mm -hmm. that's something important to do in general. Yeah. And it doesn't have to make you uncomfortable. Like, for me, if you're sitting with someone that you know, it's it's not as uh, hard to invite someone to your table because then it's comfortable for you and then you also can invite that person in, so... It's not like too far out of your comfort zone that it makes you anxious, or at least for me. (laughs) And I think that this is especially important if you are at a gaming event that isn't populated with Mm -hmm. uh, hobby gamers. Um, You know, if you happen to be at like a work party where gaming somehow is involved or a public event where there are games present, but the people present aren't as like into the hobby, you know, it's important to be willing to play games that are maybe not your normal stuff like (laughs) a lot of people really still like classic board games and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of hobby gamers tend to kind of turn up their nose at things you know like that we used to play as kids but now we've moved on from them and it's like (laughs) well but why like if 
people enjoy it and you can help maybe usher them into the hobby whether they you know it doesn't matter what they keep if they keep playing those older games but they're never going to discover the new ones unless somebody like you sits down and plays scrabble with them maybe you know so it's uh i don't know this whole thing is just basically a big lecture about (laughs) how to get other people into the hobby by being nice to them which which seems (laughs) obvious Okay, that's now the theme of this episode is just be nice to people, everybody, because it's the right (laughs) thing to do. (laughs) For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to look at the origins of the English word welcome. The English word welcome can be traced back through the Old English wilkuma, which was an exclamation of kindly greeting, or more literally translated meant one whose coming suits another's will or wish. That word came from the word willa, which meant pleasure, desire, or choice. That was a combination of the words will and kuma, which meant guest. And that word was related to the word kuman, which meant to come. These words stemmed from the Proto-Indo-European root gwa, G-W-A, which meant to go or come. Words of similar formation exist in both Old High German, Willekomo or Willekomo, and Middle Dutch, Velkom. Shout out to Dave Luza from the This Game is Broken podcast for helping me with the pronunciation of that last one. <laughs> Hopefully, we provided some good tips for helping you welcome friends and family into your home or to a gaming day you're attending, and uh, you'll be able to play some fun games with everyone this holiday season. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. War of the Worlds, The New Wave is a two-player asymmetric deck builder coming to Kickstarter in January, so keep an eye out for it when it launches. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzketeers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time... What can I say except you're welcome to the game day I planned for our friends. We hope that you stay all day. You're welcome. I guess I hope this party never ends. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. Bye. For a classroom filled with very thoughtful and kind young... Oh, nope. That's not what it says. I literally just... (laughs) Okay. Ah. Okay. It's alliteration time, everyone. During our last episode, we asked you to retheme a recent Spiel des Jahres winner for a classroom filled with thoughtful and nice young school children. What game was that, Ambi? That was Kind Kindergartner King Domino. Woo! And I think we got some correct guesses that time. So... In case some of you have not, uh, I actually I realize we haven't actually explained what the alliteration puzzles are in a while. So in case anybody is new to the show and is very confused by this little end segment, uh, we're going to ask you to retheme a game. And the answer to the puzzle is always three words that start with the same letter. 
So this week, we want to see all of you submitting your answers, either Twitter, Board Game Geek, wherever you want. Um, we want to know what is the answer to this puzzle. We want you to re-theme a classic deck building game so it can be played in a semi-spherical building where people live. Good luck, everyone.